Good morning and welcome to episode 690 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you? All right. Anything to talk about? Sonoma Stompers, 6-0. and That's a true thing. Plus 31 run differential. Uh-huh. That's it. Yeah. Good players. Pretty good players. Seems like a good team. It does. They win the close ones. They win the blowouts. And they win the blowouts. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you got on that. Well, Pat Vendetti is in the major leagues. Yeah, and uh, threw a scoreless inning and... Two scoreless innings, and then a scoreless third of an inning. Yeah. I, uh, you know what's weird is that there's a, uh, that, that, New, I don't know, that New York fans, I guess, particularly, got so sick of people not from New York calling for Pat Venditti to come to the majors that, like, it sort of became, like, he's become almost a guilty pleasure. Like, I, I feel like, uh, wanting him to come up, if you, if you ever tweeted, like, like something, like about how he should come up, they should bring him up, then people would make fun of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a weird thing that that happened. I mean, if if he were just a guy who threw with one arm, I don't think there would have been that backlash. He's a he has a two point three seven career ERA in the minors. Yeah. He has four strikeouts to every walk in the minors. He's been you know old for his levels. That's certainly true, but. There's a long track record of this guy getting outs in the high minors, and uh, it's it's sort of weird that it took this long. Isn't it kind of weird that it took this long to it's, get him up? It's really long. I wrote about him a bit today, and it's kind of incredible that he didn't get a shot last year because last year he was really good. He threw almost 80 innings between AA and AAA, and meanwhile the Yankees were cobbling together the back of a bullpen with guys like Alfredo Aceves and Matt Daly and Rich Hill and Jim Miller and Chris LaRue and just all of these names that you've probably never heard before. And meanwhile, Ben Diddy was pitching really well. And and yeah, there is that kind of backlash because there's there's like almost like a scouty sort of snobbery about it. Like like you're just scouting the stat line or you're you know, overrating him because of his uniqueness and entertainment value. And maybe, maybe that will turn out to be the case, but he looked fairly good to me when he pitched. Like his, his stuff from either side is not special. Like if you look up the closest comparisons to each pitch based on velocity and movement, it's not impressive. The, the names are not impressive, but he always has the platoon advantage and he throws like a like a specialist from both sides, sidearm, and he always has the advantage. And if you look at his minor league stats, he kind of, he's probably going to get crushed by switch hitters, I would think. It'll be an interesting thing to see how Bob Melvin uses him with switch hitters coming up, because his strikeout rate with switch hitters up in the minors was like half of what it was against lefties or righties, and that's because switch hitters are the only ones who get the platoon advantage against him. He has to declare what side he's pitching from, and then they can switch to the other side. So they don't switch, they don't strike out against him, but everyone else does. It works pretty well. 
So, yeah, it is sort of surprising that he didn't get a chance before this. And he had some injuries. Like, there was one year where he only threw 12 innings or something, and then there was another year when I think he threw almost exclusively left-handed because of an injury. But still, yeah, you would think he, he would have gotten a shot at some point with the team that drafted him in the seven years that he spent in their system. Yeah, I actually think that there's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with scouting the stat line at AAA. Like in, obviously in, in low A, it's all, you know, you shouldn't, you should barely look at it as I think everybody has shown at some point or another. Um, but at AAA, unless you have a reason, like unless you've seen a guy com- repeatedly flail once he's reached the majors, like, you know, one of these quad A sluggers who's had four shots at it, uh, the default should be that AAA stats are pretty reliable and pretty close to the majors. And, you know, AA, not really that different either. Um, and uh, so I actually don't think there's any reason to have a bad... If Venditti or anybody else, if you want to tell me a, a guy is a qualified reliever based on what he's doing as a qualified as a reliever in the, in the high minors, I'm not going to uh, throw the scouting the stat line uh, argument back at you. I think that yeah, I think that the backlash is that uh, people who were like national writers or you know baseball generalists uh, were uh, paying more attention to the guy because he had this quirk, quirk, and so it disguised the numbers to some degree. Like you, it felt like you, if you were calling for him to be called up, that you weren't calling for him in good faith. That you just wanted to see the freak. Yeah, and uh, and so there there was a presumption that your argument was bad because. Uh, it was being led by, uh, by the by the quirk factor that you were, you know, leading with your bottom hand, right? <laughs> Should be a top hand hitter. Right. You need to be a top hand hitter, Ben. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So the switch hitter issue, there are um, there are seventy three switch hitters in Major League Baseball right now, mm-hmm. uh, but only about thirty five have a hundred. Thirty five have a hundred or more plate appearances, which we could say is something like a regular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and it looked just eyeballing it. Some of these guys who are on here aren't even in the majors anymore. So you're looking at one a team, maybe maybe two a team if you bring the the bench into this. And so he shouldn't have to face that many. And it yeah. should be pretty easy to avoid those guys. Yeah, it's and, not that big a problem. And yeah, I mean, even, look, I mean, Javier Lopez can't get righties out and he still has to face, you know, Quite a few righties. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually can kind of get righties out, but Randy Choate can't get righties out. How many how many righties do you think Randy Choate faces every year? Probably. I think a surprisingly high amount. I think I, yeah. I think I looked at that once and I was surprised to see how high the percentage was. Yeah, isn't it like forty percent of his plate appearances? Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, this year it is not. Wow, this year, whew, they're doing good. This year he's only faced seven righties. Out of how many batters? Forty three. Uh huh. Last year, yeah, it was 60 righties in 148, so like 40%. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so if he can survive in the majors facing 40% righties, Venditti might be worse. He might even have a worse platoon split, but he's going to be facing maybe 5 or 10%. Actually, let's see. Well, a minor league team wouldn't necessarily counter him in the same way, but have you looked to see how many times he... Yes, I have. He faced... Switch hitters in 13% of his plate appearances. Oh, that's surprisingly more than I, I thought. Although, uh, in the minors, 
I guess it works both ways. I would think that it that would go down in the majors because I think in the minors you, you have a lot more full innings out of pitchers, a lot less of the four pitchers in one inning yeah. kind of machinations. Mm-hmm. It's sort of surprising that you mentioned the Yankees in 2014 didn't call him up, but it's sort of surprising it took him this long just this year. He was good in spring. He has a 1.3 ERA. And when the A's signed him, there was a general huzzahing of people who want to see him because it was like, oh, well, of course the A's right. will, will, let, will use him. That's the perfect thing. Uh, the perfect organization for him and the perfect thing that they'd be looking for. And it took them 33 innings before he came up. Yeah, and they've had injuries, Doolittle, Mujica. They, Venditti, Venditti is the 18th reliever they've used this year, which is tied for the most in the majors. And that's if you count him as one pitcher. And they have the worst bullpen ERA in the American League after having, I think, the second best last year. So their bullpen has been kind of a disaster, and yeah, even so, it took a while. I do count him as one pitcher. <laughs> I definitely count him as one pitcher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So I want to um, I want to talk about more trade winners and trade losers. Okay. Uh, but I want to go down to one region of the country and talk about the uh, flurry of trades that some overlapping uh, that the Dodgers and the Padres made this year. In the offseason. Okay? Sure. All right. <laughs> it's your show. All right. Uh, so, uh, we might, I don't know if we'll do the Dodgers and the Padres, or the Dodgers, or the Padres, or just the Dodgers, or just the Padres. So we'll, we'll just, together, we'll start with the one that includes them both. Uh, so, the Dodgers traded Matt Kemp to the Padres for Yasmani Grandal, um, as well as a bunch of money going to San Diego, um, and as well as Couple of prospects, better prospects going to the Dodgers, right? Mm-hmm. You recall this trade? <laughs> I do. Happened in December. I can confirm that. Craig Goldstein wrote about it for the baseball prospectus. And, um, so Matt Kemp hit his second home run of the year. That's <laughs> Congratulations, pretty good. Congratulations, Matt Kemp. It's hard uh, to do. Hard to hit a home run in the major leagues. It is very hard to do it. We don't, we don't necessarily give them enough credit for hitting home runs. Uh, and, uh, so he's been, he's been pretty bad, uh, you would say. And this is one of the things that always beguiles me about analysis is that when, when we, when a guy signs, like say a guy signs for six years and a hundred million dollars and we do all the math and we're like, oh boy, looks to me like with the projections, he's only going to be worth 94 million and not a hundred. <laughs> and we call it a loss. Yeah. Uh, we say bad move. Should have gotten him for 93. Or should have got a guy who'd be worth 101. But in fact, guys very rarely are anywhere close to their projections. And so what ends up happening is that you get a guy like Matt Kemp, who turns out to just be horrible. Like, he's been replacement level for the Padres this year. And you could make the case that the Padres simply would have been better off if they didn't have him at all. Like, if, if they were paying all this money but had just didn't even have him in the lineup, they would might be able to get a better production out of some guy they have in double A right now. Um, and of course, so then you go, oh, oh, this front office, they sure botched it. They got this guy and he turned out to be horrible. And, and I said at the time, he was only going to be worth 93 million, uh, and not a hundred, but nobody said he was going to be worth zero. You know, no, like the analysis, nobody foresaw that he was going to be worth zero. Um, and so 
this is why I I hate analysis about moves. This is why I hate doing it. <laughs> I hate reading it. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, the point is that uh, Matt Kemp has been very poor for them. Uh, Yasmani Grandal has been a, a very good hitter, and I, uh, when they got him, you probably wrote about this. Uh, we probably talked about this, but Grandal was one of the two dozen or so catchers who seem to have good framing data uh-huh. uh, or reputations. And so we thought, oh, smart, smart that they got a good framer. AJ Ellis was considered a very poor framer mm-hmm. last year. Uh, and so this seemed like uh, a smart upgrade, a, a stat-heady kind of upgrade as well for them. And um, and yet, Grandal's defense seems to be fairly uh, somewhat controversial. Um, Kershaw has continued to pitch to, to Ellis exclusively. Um, well, and- we know why, right? Harry told us AJ Ellis is a master pitch caller. Exactly, and so it although does... Grandal is leading the majors in framing runs okay. at, at BP, I was going to ask you that. Okay, yeah. so uh, so he is vindicated, I guess, in that mm-hmm. sense. All right, so the Dodgers have so far won this one, clearly, right? They've they got a catcher at a position that they were pretty weak at. He's been an excellent hitter. He's been framing. We don't know how he calls a game, but we can put that aside. A little bit. And when you look at what Ellis has done, uh, he's hitting 138 with a 172 slugging percentage. Uh, and you can, obviously they might have found another solution to that, but, uh, he was their starting catcher up until the day this trade was made. Um, so it's been very good for them. It's been very bad for the Padres. Uh, is there an argument? Stop me if I'm wrong about any of that. Uh, Kemp, I guess, has stolen five bases. Uh, so that's that in his, everything. in his, in his favor. Uh, all right, so is there redemption possible in this? Is this a just completely irredeemable situation at this point? Well, when we talked about this, we didn't like it because we thought at the time that it seemed like a because that was one of the that was one of the earlier Padres moves, right? That was kind of before some of the subsequent moves, and at the time it seemed like what do they need Matt Kemp for? They're not going to win this year anyway. And then they did all those other things. And then Matt Kemp seemed like he could be part of a potentially winning team. And the Padres haven't been great, but they're they're in it at least. Yep. And so that kind of maybe made the made the desire to trade for him make more sense. And the Padres had well, they had catching depth at the time, although they they then traded all their catchers and traded for some some other catchers but if you think you know Austin Hedges is going to be the the best framer ever even though he hasn't hit so far then maybe that's a consideration for for the future maybe you don't need a framer so much if you have your own really good one even if he doesn't hit nearly as well as Grandal has hit the last couple of years so there's that I guess and the Dodgers paid a lot of the money for Kemp, right? The Padres are not paying for Kemp this year, so. But they are paying for him in the future a in lot. In the future, yes. Um, so I didn't think it was the worst move for Kemp at the time. I thought it was curious that the Padres would want to make that move, given where I thought they were at that time. But Kemp was the best hitter in the major leagues in the second half last year, so. I don't know that we should have expected this. We could have expected him to get hurt. He gets hurt a lot, but I didn't expect that he would play and 
from all appearances, be pretty healthy and just not hit at all. So that surprises me. So I wouldn't necessarily blame them for Kemp not hitting. I still don't love the rationale for the move, but if we're just talking as we did in the last show about who has won so far, regardless of what the thought process was at the time or what anyone knew at the time, there's it's probably they're they're in a pretty deep hole already at this point. Yeah, we're we're not talking about who has won. We're talking about how close we can say how close we are to declaring a winner. Yeah. And so that's kind of the the question is yeah, I mean I'm going to okay, so I'm going to pivot a little bit and ask a question. Uh the Padres owe Matt Kemp 73 million dollars, I believe, over the next 4 years, not counting this year. Mm-hmm. Uh that's it's he's I think he's getting paid like 87 or something like that, but then the Dodgers are paying some of that. So 4 years, 73 million. What would he get if he were a free agent this offseason? Well, I thought he would get not terribly far from that if he had been a free agent this past winter. I thought he Oh, would... I think he would have gotten a lot more. Yeah, because last right. winter. Yeah, right. Um so right now based on his his two months of being very bad, how old is Matt Kemp? He's only 30, right? He's yeah, like... this is age 30. I'm so. always surprised by how young Kemp is. So, well he might want to do a a pillow contract to get a bigger contract, but he he could probably get a four-year deal. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think that Kemp is, by by what the Padres are paying him, I don't think Kemp is overpaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, he's, I don't think that's a big issue, uh, the the money. But it, I know that if you, if you really buy into some of the defensive metrics that show him as a minus 75 defender in left field last year or whatever he was, uh, then he looks even worse. But I'm, I don't, I don't think that he's that bad at, in a corner outfield. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just looking at, I don't know what Pakota says, but looking at Zips and Steamer, they project Grandal to be a better hitter than Kemp or, or roughly equivalent to Kemp. And Grandal plays catcher and is a good defensive catcher. So. Yeah. In that sense, you would rather have Grandal in a straight-up deal, even if yeah. they made the same amount of money. Right, yeah. So just getting out of the way, though, that it's not an albatross contract, mm-hmm. just, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, right, and so then let's say that he's worth exactly what he's getting paid. Then that means that they just basically gave up Grandal for nothing, and Grandal's got, what, this is his third year of service time? Uh, he is two years. Yeah, so this is his third year of service time. So he's going to hit arbitration for the first time uh, this year. And he's probably, I mean, you know, what is he at this point? He's a catcher who's a, an above-average hitter and by at least one measure uh, is a, a good defender or a certainly credible defender. I mean, you're talking about... If <laughs> Russell Martin gets $85 million for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then... Uh, you know, Wheeland is in the majors. He's, he had, you know, he had a good peripherals in AAA, got a call up. It's too early to say that whether his, uh, whether he has changed who he is since the Padres traded him, but, you know, he'll probably pitch some innings in the majors. And then Eflin was part of the Jimmy Rollins deal. And so, yeah, it basically looks like the Dodgers took a guy who was paid, you know, fairly appropriately. And, uh, 
and turned him into a bunch of really good things. So I would say that uh, on a scale of one to eight, were I want to say like like three and a half eighths of the way there. The thing is that Matt Kemp, has, like we noted in his BP comment in the uh, annual, three years in a row he's had one horrible half and one MVP level half, and it's would probably be too optimistic to think that he's got some skill, some particular skill at dividing his performance neatly into lousy half, great half. And mm-hmm. so you probably wouldn't conclude that, oh, well, the great half's coming. He's done it three years in a row. Uh, that said, there is lots of precedent for him going through an extended stretch like this in a season and nonetheless ending up really valuable for that season. And um, so I I think that it's still conceivable that like, I probably would put it, his chances of winning, of getting another, well, I don't know, of having another top five MVP finish in his career at probably like 8 to 12%. Okay. And so if that happens, then probably the Padres would be fine. So I would, yeah, maybe I'm, go, I'm going more than three and a half eighths. I'm going five and a half eighths. Otherwise, okay. he's declaring a winner. All right. It does, it's pretty lopsided at this point. Yeah. Okay. All right, so uh, let's see. Let's stick with the Padres and say the... Uh, let's talk about the Craig Kimbrell trade. All right. Um, Kimbrell was the last big acquisition. He was the chair on top, in a sense. Uh, and you, they always used to say, like, uh, that the closer is... Uh, having a great closer is, like, the last the last step for a team, for building a great team, right? You don't... you That's what you do after you've put all the other pieces together, and the Padres seem to have done that. And then they went out and they got this great closer, um, and uh, he hasn't been great. The fun fact the fun fact machine has slowed down. He's got an ERA over four, a FIP over three. Uh, he's allowed some home runs. He's walked some batters. He's been good. He's been, you know, a, I would say a pretty great reliever, and if you, you know, if one of his home runs, one of the three or maybe two of the three home runs gets caught at the wall, then he looks an awful lot better, so it's not as though You'd write him off. But, um, you know, we've been saying for years that Mariano Rivera was the exception. There are very few other relievers who maintain dominance over the course of an entire career. Um, and there were some signs already that Kimbrell was slowing down a bit. His walk rate had been going up. His strikeout rate had come down from the historic levels of his fun fact heyday. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's not like he has not made the ninth inning any more secure than the ninth inning has been in San Diego for the last decade. In fact, they've, I, I'm not going to get this right, but they've blown more games in the ninth inning this year than they did last year, I believe, already. Because I don't think they, I don't think they blew one last year. I think, wasn't that the thing is like, I think they won every game that they led going into the ninth last year. Uh huh. Well, the percentage for almost every team is pretty high. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, so he hasn't really Changed their success uh, in any you know clear and obvious way. But uh, B.J. Upton is about to be back. Did I thought he hurt his toe again? I thought I saw a uh, Roto World uh, Melvin. All right. Activated him yesterday. Yeah. Will make his debut today mm-hmm. against the Braves. Yeah. Uh, so so then it's going to get worse. <laughs> right. For the Padres. So, I don't know. I mean, the, that was a, 
the thing about that move is that they gave up a whole lot of nothing in in, a, in one way of looking at it. Um, Maben was crowded out of the outfield, appeared to be crowded out of the outfield. He hadn't really been performing. Quentin was, I mean, he's retired. Nobody wants Quentin. And they got a elite, you know, arguably the best closer in the world who was locked up for a long time at a contract that nobody would balk at. And all they had to do was take on a bunch of money. And we don't know how to assess the money that they took on. We don't know if it hamstrings them in the short term, in the long term, if it matters. But as it turned out, Cameron Mabin has been pretty good again. He's He's been probably more valuable than Kimbrell this year. And... um and he's also a guy who's signed for a couple more years without uh, into a very team-friendly deal. So you'd have to say that the Braves have to be fairly happy at this point that Maven has been good, right? Yeah. And, and the, Padres, the Padres have to be somewhat underwhelmed that Kimbrell hasn't been any better than 30 other or maybe 60 other relievers in baseball this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe this is a maybe this is the sort of trade that only matters in October, um, when you're really happy to have a dominant closer who can shorten the game. But Matt Whistler is pitching well in AAA for the Braves, the prospect, the big prospect in the deal. Okay, yeah, that's another part of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, of all the Padres moves, this is the one that I think at the time we liked the least. Yes, we weren't sure about it, partly because it just felt like they were taking on a ton of money mm-hmm. for, I mean, they were essentially saying we're going to spend $80 million and give up a prospect and, and also give up on Mabin uh, in order to get a closer, which felt like a lot. When they had a good bullpen already. That hadn't blown a game in the ninth inning in an entire year or something like that. Uh-huh. So Braves are winning it. Padres are losing it. How close are we to having a definitive, What what changes the outcome here? I don't think I'm that close yet. I think, I think the fact that Whistler's pitching well and is 22 and pretty close to the majors, and that's a lot of service time between him and the other guys they got in the deal. Um, I, I would give the edge to the Braves just as I gave the edge to the Braves then, but if, the Padres are in contention. I mean, if they if they make it, if they make the playoffs this year, and maybe Kimbrel regains some of his old form, and then they have Kimbrel in October, and they're using him for a bunch of innings, that would be a a valuable thing. So, if we're just doing the the postseason analysis, the retrospective analysis, or not not. Not what happened at the time, but what has happened since. I think there is still a way for the Padres to salvage this, but it would take probably Whistler not working out and Kimbrel having big October moments. The Padres' bullpen, it's its an odd group because um, of, the, of all the pitchers who have pitched regularly, Kimbrel has the second worst ERA of the seven relievers, but there's, there's really not a great FIP in this group. They've all, it looks like they've all kind of been getting a little, maybe a little lucky here. Maybe they've all been allowing fly balls to the Padres outfield. Like my first, my first thought was, well, geez, I mean, Benoit's got a 2.25 ERA. He, you know, they'd be fine if he was a closer and, and Maurer's got a 
1.93 RA and Thayer's got a 2.66 ERA, but all those guys have actually got pretty lousy FIPS. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see if their bullpen is continues to be dominant, uh, going forward. Um, there's also a pick, by the way, that Braves get a competitive balance pick, which is what, like mid forties or something like that? Yeah. Which is not nothing either. Nope. So Braves have the edge, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Alright, so, uh, let's do one more. Okay. Uh, and this one is, goes three directions. It's a three-way trade. Uh, Will Myers, Steven Souza, Treya Turner? Trey? Trey? Trey Turner? Mm-hmm. Alright, so the Padres get Will Myers, who has hit extremely well for them, and then got hurt. His defense, probably pretty poor, but he was asked to play a position that he was probably unqualified for. Yes. And so Very poor, would... but he's basically doing the, the Shinsu Chu in center field thing that the Reds tried a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so, um, so that's not really necessarily his fault. Uh, and then, uh, Steven Souza goes to the Tampa Bay Rays. Souza was the, uh, the projections darling without nearly the pedigree of Will Myers, but, uh, by most projection systems. Uh, forecast to be, you know, about as good as Myers this year. Uh, and so he's hit a bunch of home runs. He's stolen some bases. He's struck out a ton. And, uh, overall, eh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eh. Not, not, not a star. Definitely a qualified major leaguer. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, what else? Turner going to, to the Washington Nationals. Uh, and like nine other guys in the trade. Uh, is there anybody else in this trade who needs to be mentioned? Joe Ross got a call up. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could say Joe Ross deserves a mention because he got a call up, uh, for the Nationals as a pitcher. Um, he was double A pitcher who's pitched well in double A this year and just called up a couple days ago. The Rays got Rene Rivera. How's that been going? Yeah, yes. I have to admit I haven't been following Rene Rivera's season that well. He's got a uh, he has a 22 OPS plus. <laughs> so not so well. He's, uh, I have to say that when Rivera got traded and like it shocked me that Rivera had trade value. You know, he had he had a good year last year, but there was nothing in his record that suggested he was any kind of a player and so like when people talked about the Padres depth at catcher and Rivera was part of that depth, I don't know, I just didn't really see it. Yeah. Well, he's it's a good framer. He's a good framer. <laughs> so he's basically they replaced Jose Molina, who was a good framer who couldn't hit at all with Rene Rivera, who's a good framer who hasn't hit at all, but he's seven years younger, something like that. So there's that. And then uh, Turner, who was uh, the best prospect in the deal, you know, roughly a number 50 or so prospect uh, in the in the minors, uh, is still with the Padres system until he can be named later, and he is crushing. He's 22 years old in double-A. Hitting 322, 389, 478 as a shortstop. Um, so that his, you know, that's good. His stock has probably, if anything, gone up. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so the uh, so the the Nationals did pretty well here, right? Yeah, they, they traded Steven Souza, who they liked so much that they let him have a thousand OPS in like four straight minor league seasons <laughs> and called him up for like twelve plate appearances last year. So mm-hmm. you could tell that Steven Souza was not exact. Like, they didn't buy the projections. They didn't really see him as a big part of 
uh, their plans, and they, you know, it, when Jason Worth is healthy, they basically have no way of using him, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they turned very little from their end into Trey Turner. And Joe Ross. And Joe Ross. And so, yeah, you'd say that they have to feel very good about where they are right now. The Rays essentially turned Will Myers into Steven Souza, uh, and spare parts that don't seem to be adding much to the equation at this point. Let's see. Jake, well, Jake Bowers, first base prospect, is hitting well in high A as a 19-year-old. So that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Birch Smith is... Is Birch Smith healthy? What's Birch Smith doing? Birch Smith is not healthy. Not pitching. Not playing for the race. All right. So uh, what are we saying about the race? The race traded Will Myers for Steven Souza. It was it was a it was like a, a classic case of uh, scouts versus stats, right? Sort of. I mean, stats liked Will Myers too. <laughs> a couple of years ago, Will Myers was the the stat head guy in the the Shields deal. So I would say that the Rays come out looking the worst here thus far, just because they were kind of betting on Myers not becoming Myers, right? On not becoming the player that he was supposed to be when he was a prospect, or even the player that he was as a rookie when he won Rookie of the Year award. And there were questions about his makeup and work ethic and that sort of thing. And there were questions about his pitch recognition and pit plate discipline and everything. And and I think they were just concerned that he wasn't going to develop. And he was... Hurt last year, he had that wrist thing, and maybe that was responsible for more of his performance than the Rays believed. I don't know, but they seem to think that there were developmental issues there. And so far this year, he has hit just about exactly as well as he did in his rookie year, maybe even a little bit better. And as you said, you can't really blame him for the fact that he has been put in center field where he's not really equipped to play. So he's he's back on track. He's yeah. He's hitting again. He's the Will Myers that he was projected to be. Uh, and in fact, the now that I think about it, uh, the narrative was kind of that Myers wasn't coachable. Yeah. And so you could actually argue that the Padres were betting on the stats over the makeup, and so it was stats versus scouting. But the Rays took the scouting side because they. Mm-hmm. If, if that narrative is actually is actually accurate, uh, you could say that um, that they were betting on on makeup or against. Yes, they took the the scouting side on Myers and the stat side on Sousa. Yeah, exactly. Which just seems fine. So Sousa, now my the thing about having pedigree is that it buys you a lot more time to prove that you're for real. And Sousa is a guy who he didn't have like no pedigree or anything like that. He was, you know, he was. He was a third rounder. He had a little bit of, a little bit of prospectness a few years ago. If, without the pedigree though, it seems like you, our infatuation with him doesn't quite have so much staying power. So has he lost his upside? I mean, he's 26, uh, and the questions about him, uh, have kind of been apparent. He's, he's a little bit limited. He's, I don't know what his platoon splits have been this far, thus far this year, but, uh, he hasn't been the guy that the minor league stats sort of suggested he might be. 
he is has a 677 OPS against right-handers, and so he kind of looks like a fourth outfielder slash platoon outfielder at this point, which is what the scouts kind of said he would be in, which is probably what the Nationals always thought he was going to be. So have we changed our opinion about Souza from three months ago? Well, I think he, he has been what the projection said he would be, right? And he wasn't like projected to be a superstar. He was just projected to be a above average player uh, by a little bit, I think. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there were some projections that said something different. I'm just looking at his rest of season projections and he has more than match those you know he's been a solidly above average hitter it's not it's not a really pretty line because he has struck out a ton and has a low batting average but he has hit 11 home runs and he's stolen seven bases so he's going to be a 20 20 guy maybe a 25 25 guy I, I picked him to be the rookie of the year this year not because I was so high on him I just didn't think it was that strong a crop of rookies in the AL this year. And I thought he would win like a Chris Coughlin kind of rookie of the year award where he was kind of old and mature and just the best guy around and not necessarily a great long-term guy with a lot of projection, but pretty good in the moment. And he's kind of been that. Maybe if there's a disappointing part of what he's done, maybe it's his defense. His defensive stats are not very good so far. But if he if he had above average defensive stats, then he'd be looking very good right now. He has a uh, he has a 272 true average, which puts him a little bit above average. Preseason, Pakoda had him projected for a 297 true average, which would have put him to put that into perspective would have made him the 30 or like the 26th best hitter in baseball, uh, basically tied with Evan Longoria and Justin Upton. Uh, and ahead of Bryce Harper. Well, Pakoda must have been the not, highest on him. I mean, not really. The, I remember at the time, Pakoda was not really notably, if any, higher than Steamer was. And I think something else. I remember it being a fairly unanimous projection system consensus that Steven Souza was going to hit. Yeah. Do you have a OPS projection from Pakoda? Yeah, I do. Seven seven ninety four. His combin his combined zips and steamer was seven seventeen. Oh wow, yeah, that's much lower. Yeah, I can look up his steamer alone. Let's see. They're about the same right now for rest of season. Yeah. They're almost identical. Yeah. For rest of season. Yeah, steamer was seven thirty three. All right. So basically, what we're saying is that the Nationals have to be happy, but of course, Turner could turn out to be nothing. And so there's certainly nowhere close to a clear win uh, yet for them. The Rays, probably a little unhappy because they've seen Myers bounce back to the player that his prospect status suggested he could be. But they might also reasonably say, well, you know, he, maybe he was a change of scenery guy. Um, and it's certainly not like he's guaranteed to keep hitting like this for the next four years. And he's already been hurt. And the Padres have to be happy because Myers has been good, but Turner might end up being better, and they've had a crowded outfield, and that trade uh, led to Mabin being traded, and Mabin's been just as good as Will Myers, and Will Myers could, again, like we just said, end up being disappointing. So probably, um, probably like we're at like one-eighth on all sides, probably two-eighths on the Nationals, because I just don't think they are going to miss Souza. Yeah. 
So, uh, so like we're two eighths of the way to a win for the Nationals, and we're just kind of uh, a couple steps in the direction for the other two. A win for the Padres, a loss for the Nationals, uh, for the Rays. Is that right? I think that's right. I would. Uh, I don't know if I would give a team a pass for a change of scenery guy, though. Like if you're, I mean. Yes, if you want to say that a guy is not going to improve with your team, so you might as well get rid of him and get something for him. That makes sense. But that's still a developmental failure on your part, right? Like if the only, if the problem is your organization and he just goes somewhere else and is good, then even if that's the case, even if it makes sense to trade him because of that, it's still a, a black mark against you. Yeah, but we're not talking about who won the James Shields trade or who won the, you know, Ray's organizational philosophy debate. We're talking about whether this trade specifically makes sense. And, you know, this trade specifically probably, I don't know, it probably, I think that I feel a little more pessimistic than you do, but it doesn't look like the Ray's got a good return for a player who um, has a real chance to be an all-star for the next couple of years. Um, so regardless of, yeah, I think regardless of whether their own inability to, to get through to him is a factor, uh, they're not covered in glory here, I don't think, in this particular trade, regardless. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not very excited for the draft today? Snuck up on me. (laughs) Yeah. We were, we were watching the stompers. Couple names I'm looking at to see if they get picked in the late rounds. Uh Uh-huh. For yeah. related reasons. Yeah, I am more interested, actually, in guys who don't get drafted than I yeah. am in draftees this year for, for Stomper's reasons, but it's also acknowledged to be not the most scintillating class. It's kind of a weaker class. There's no clear consensus, super exciting number one. So all of those factors have kind of combined into less draft excitement for me than usual. Not that I'm ever really a draft guy because you kind of you see who gets picked and then you wait several years to find things out so it's always kind of anticlimactic i think except for the spending and you know strategy machinations that sort of stuff is always interesting Mm -hmm. okay so i believe we'll be back tomorrow you can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com Join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild, and support our sponsor, the Play Index, by going to Baseball Reference, using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription.